Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of From the Mailbag with the team Mixing Light. I'm Dan Moran. I'm Robbie Corman. I'm Patrick Inhofer. And we'd like to talk about our grading environments. It's something we get asked to trade shows on the internet, you know, on forums. Uh, and it's just something, you know, everybody needs to know. Um, Pat, do you want to take this? Yeah, so we got an uh, email from one of our members asking about each of our grading environments, how they're set, set up. Not so much the physical gear we have, but how are our monitors backlit? What kind of panels are we using? The color of our walls? That type of thing. And so, Robbie... Um, I think of all of us, you've probably got the sexiest looking room. So why don't you start off letting us know uh, how you've got your, your room set up. So first of all, I have a kegerator and a full bar <laughs> on one side of the room. Um, the walls are a nice shade of orange. And I'm using a tube TV from 1973. So you TV. do it exactly the wrong way. Well, yeah, that's what I figure. You know, the guy with his uh, sitting in his underwear watching the uh, crappy cable television that I make every day is probably doing the same. So it's fine. <laughs> um, no, uh, in all seriousness, I think that uh, environment setup and room setup is something that gets talked about a lot. And as Dan pointed out, we get asked. I mean, guys, this is not the first time we've been asked. We get asked at conferences. We get asked, uh, you know, just in passing. You know, uh, everybody asks us. So uh, I think the the, the really key components of this because we can break it down pretty easy. Um, First of all, is just the sort of the neutralness of the environment. And when we're talking about neutralness, everybody always goes to the gray walls, gray walls, gray walls. And, you know, yeah, a lot of people, we kind of key in on this 18% gray wall thing. Um, in my opinion, that's not really that important. I think a, a neutral as you can go is a good thing. You don't want to have a red wall. You don't have a yellow wall. You don't have a green wall. Um, something, even a white wall would be fine. Um, it's just something that's not going to influence your environment. Would you guys agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, yes, I would agree with that. Um, and you're right. It's the neutralist, it, the, it's the neutralness of the wall. In other words, you don't want it to affect your color perception. Yeah, and I mean, we commonly refer to this as the sort of the surround, right? Yep. Um, you know, that you don't want to be influenced by things in your surround uh, surrounding vision. And the wall is one of those things that unless you're working, I don't know, in like a holodeck on the Starship <laughs> Enterprise, um, you're probably going to have walls somewhere, right? Um, so having those be neutral. Now, Pat, you were, we were talking before we started recording today about how in your, in your setup, the surround is not, you know, perfectly gray or whatever, neutral everywhere in your room. It's literally directly in front of you and just in your peripheral vision, right? Well, yeah, and this gets to a question I often get, like, what about the carpeting, right? Well, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. Number one, <laughs> the room's supposed to be very dim. How dim is technically supposed to be a, a percentage off of peak white of your monitor? I think, what is it, 20% or 15%? Well, well yeah, that's about that's about lighting. I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 the lighting and the, the whole brightness of the environment is really depending on what kind of work you're doing, right? I yeah, mean, if it you're is. doing... If you're doing television broadcast work, the lighting, the ambient lighting in your room could try, should try to sort of emulate the natural ambient lighting in most viewers' environment. With that said, the flip side of it, if you're doing cinema work, you're not going to want to have the lights on in the cinema, right? It's a pure black environment. So yeah, well, and uh, but, you know, all of us are working mostly in, in TV, and we, we're not working grading theaters. So we do want some level of ambient light. But I think the point I was trying to get at was what really matters is what's in your field of view when you're looking at your monitor. Yeah. So I don't really worry about the back walls because there isn't enough ambient light for that to reflect back onto my monitor uh, to, uh, to kind of warp my sense of color perception. So I'm looking at, you know, the, the wall in front of me. Actually, I'm my monitor is kind of in front of the corner of a, of the room. So I've got two sides of the wall where they join. And those two are, are, are designed or painted with that kind of 
What was it, that East Cinema gray $120 (laughs) gallon ridiculously priced? Yeah, there there was a, you know, East Cinema was a monitor company for a long time. And I I can't quite figure out if they're still actually in business or not. Um, But they were selling spectrally flat and spectrally neutral gray wall paint. Um, I've had it on good authority that it was nothing more than a custom Sherwin-Williams blend. Um, So, yes, Pat, you were the sucker just like I did and uh, spent hundreds of dollars on it. But here's the Uh, thing. I only spent $120 on it because I only bought one gallon because I only needed to put it in my field of view. Everything else, I went to Sherman Williams with a gray card and had them match it. And that's the sidewalls. That's the back wall. um, That's all I needed to get done. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people do do that. I mean, they take a 18% gray neutral card yep. in. Um, the thing I found about commercial paints and the thing you have to be a little careful about if you're trying to go for a truly neutral wall is that uh, oftentimes they're not using great sc- – I mean, these are not reference-grade scanners that they're using in the old paint store, right? Yeah, no, you know, these yeah. are just These are just quick scanners. I found in my experience that those paint colors actually come up oftentimes a little bit on the cool side. They're actually yeah. a little blue. A little blue. Yeah. yeah. And so just just be aware of that. You know, get one of the, before you invest in the whole gallon, get one of those little sample jars, you know? Yeah. And uh, and try it that way. That, that's exactly what we did. We we got like this special paint, thought, okay, let's look at it. And we all agreed it was too cold. So we kind of, you know, fudged around with some paints and decided that our mixture was better than the experts. But, it, you yeah. know, in the room, it felt better. So as long as you're happier, you know, it's it's totally acceptable. And remember, we're all talking about off the margins here. So, you know, we're talking maybe it's a little 5% a little too blue or maybe we're yeah, pushing exactly. it 5% a little warmer. Um, and and all we're trying to really do is go for something that just doesn't look like it has any color to it. Yeah. Right. And that, I mean, that's, that's a great point, especially about the wall color. I mean, we've all been involved with discussions, people obsessing about this. I've, I've talked to you guys ad nauseum over the years about how obsessed I am about perfectedness. <laughs> and, um, you know, because you guys are my psychiatrists, uh, <laughs> I have kind of realized that um, there's no such thing as perfection. No. You know what I'm saying? And you know, the, the point is having a neutral wall is a good thing. Now, Pat, you actually pointed out this idea of... Uh, lighting in the room too and i gotta ask you dan in your room do you have special lighting is it you know calibrated d65 lighting or are you just using regular light bulbs how's that how's that working so we're kind of famous in london for being different i mean we use calibrated bulbs we're using d65 but our room is ambiently lit to kind of living room levels so we've kind of got like up lighters that fills the whole room uh and it's kind of like the genius of my boss he's either crazy or right he just says, you know, the grading suite should look like your living room, but, you know, in a very stable condition. The windows are blacked out. You know, we've got dark walls at the back, so there's no reflections. But apart from that, it's actually much brighter than you'd expect. And, you know, it's it kind of breaks the trend. But I, I've noticed that when I watch my home TV, everything looks almost identical. I've never gone, a- oh, God, that's wrong. Yeah, it's really actually interesting. I have found myself over the past two or three years bringing more and more light into the suite. Um, I was really kind of keen on this idea of like, you know, getting 10% backlight and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, just like you, I brought in, you know, D65 lighting. It has a high CRI value. I don't know if you guys ever heard that term. Sure. Um, um, uh, color render, color rendering index, you know, that's, so it's good, stable light. Uh, okay. I, but I've, I found myself, you know, getting more light into the, to the room because I was finding that I was actually doing things like crushing the blacks too much and yeah. things of that nature because I wasn't viewing it in the same type of environment that everybody else was looking at. Yeah, the other thing um, that comes up quite a lot now is the director and the producer would always say, well, what's this going to look like on an iPad on a train? So, you know, I always say, well, the light's here are quite bright. 
Uh, again, if you're doing a short film, I'd totally take them down. But for your average music video or commercial, it's, you know, what is the new viewing environment, I guess, on the beach with, you know, a cocktail? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's a and that's a great point too. Like in a dark environment, if you're sitting, say, you know, three feet from five feet from the monitor, you're going to be impacted by how bright that monitor is, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things, um, you know, besides the sort of the ambient lighting, and we've all agreed that D65 lighting, high CRI bios. And I'm just going to do a pitch actually for a little company that I love uh, is a group called uh, CinemaQuest. It's yeah. Just Cinema, CinemaQuest.com. Yeah, that's where I buy um, my bulbs. Yeah, and they they make ballast and bulbs uh, that are high end bulbs that you can buy. They're pro they're pro light fixture, you know whatever the smaller ones. They were originally for the sort of home theater market, but they've kind of taken off in the uh, the pro market. And I actually know our friends uh, at uh, Flanders Scientific are actually reselling those um, those fixtures now as well. So it's a nice way to yeah, get. Yeah, it's cool. The, uh, yeah, um, you know, so the one thing I would say that's that's kind of interesting about this is that. You actually kind of have to, um, you know, think about your user environment as we've talked about. And one of the things, one of the mistakes I've been finding myself getting into is that sitting two, three, four, five feet away from the monitor, when I'm at like the standard reference values of say like 35 foot Lamberts coming off the monitor, I'm actually making corrections where I'm bringing everything way down because it's kind of like having a torch in front of me in a dark <laughs> yeah. environment, you know. But then once I started bringing up the ambient light in the room. I was like, oh, I'm actually making things nice and bright and where they kind of should be. So it's an interesting thing. Now, uh, this gets us to monitoring. What are we all using for monitors, Dan? Uh, again, we booked the trend. We're using big Panasonic plasmas. So our, our kind of selling point is everybody has the same monitor, client, colorist, director. So there's one big monitor on the back wall. Uh, we're using 58-inch uh, Panasonics, and it's, it's pretty good, I think. And how often uh, does it get calibrated? Uh, quite a lot, I think. Um, Cause that's it, a big thing about those those plasmas is they look great. There are facilities all over the world using them. Yeah. Uh, but my understanding is they got to be calibrated pretty regularly. Yeah. I mean, there's there's one little dangerous thing, and I'm sure Dan, you've even noticed this. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the technical term off the top of my head, but plasmas do this voltage switching thing. Yeah, they do. Where where like if you switch from a really bright scene to then a really dark scene, all of a sudden the whole panel just goes. Yeah, and then it and then it like it's almost like a stair stepping thing where it just drops all of a sudden. I, I've said this a few times. Don't worry, that's just the monitor, and you, you just see the director <laughs> going, "It's just the monitor." What? It's like, yeah, don't worry, it's, it's regulating it its power usage is what well, it's well, doing. What's really interesting though, Dan, is that you have an environment where you're just everybody's looking at the same monitor. And I mean, I think that you guys have heard this one before too. That like you know you're in the suite, client sitting there behind you or next to you, or whatever, and going. Which monitor should I look at? This one? Yeah. That one? This one? And that's kind of interesting that you kind of get rid of that variable altogether. It works. I mean, they still manage to find the little preview on the scopes monitor and say, oh, make it look like that. <laughs> but, well, uh, that's why I, my all my UI stuff, the GUI stuff and my scopes and anywhere where you can see picture, I just, I dim them down so much so that no one could possibly ever look at it and say, I like that picture. Yeah. Uh, and they're idea. just always coming off the reference monitor. Yep. Yeah. So uh, as you guys know, uh, I'm a big FSI fan, been using them for years, but uh, as I wrote an Insights article, uh, what was that, a week ago or so, uh, I am on a Sony BVM OLED now, yep. uh, which has been uh, an interesting experience overall. I mean, um, you know, besides the the fact that I'll be paying for it until the time I'm uh, <laughs> 900, 936 years old, um, you know, overall performance of it is just stunning. Uh, the black level is just stunning. The accuracy of it is just stunning. 
Um, what the, the viewing angle got better in the new version of the monitor. But what I'm finding is that in my suites, anyway, I don't actually have the pro-level plasmas. I have consumer-level plasmas, right? Kind of in that attempt to sort of emulate what things are going to look like at home kind of thing for the clients. Um, and I calibrate them and stuff. But now I've, I'm having this – since I set up the, the, the Sony – I never had clients kind of like want to sit up next to the desk next to me and like look over my shoulder and be all touchy feely and close. <laughs> but now the monitor looks so good <laughs> that they're like, you mind if I sit here? Yeah, just move out of the way. I, do you mind if I put my feet up on your desk? You know? <laughs> and that, that's, been a, that's been a little challenging. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm not quite ready to do it from a price point of view, but also because I don't think the technology is advanced yet. I'm hoping in the next, in the next year or so that um, I can get a big, um, you know, 55, 65 inch uh, OLED uh, display. Because I don't know if you guys heard this, but uh, Panasonic, for example, is getting out of the plasma market altogether. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been looking at the OLEDs. That's our plan is to wait until we see one that's good enough and then we'll, we'll swap over to those. Well, and it's also hard to rationalize when, like in my in my particular case, when I've spent fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars on the reference monitor, spending another fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars on a consumer OLED. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's 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 nuts. So, um, yeah. and Pat, you're on you're on FSI as well. Right? Yeah, I've got their twenty four sixty one, their ten bit uh, with twenty four inch panel, and I've uh, been running with that for about two years. Love it. I I, I love it. I love the guys. I love uh, their customer service. I love sending it into them to have them calibrate it for me. Mm -hmm. uh, that way, I don't have to invest in probes and all that. And uh, I look forward to upgrading to their thirty two inch uh, when it yeah, comes that, out. Yeah, that looks like a, that looks like a beautiful monitor. I mean, even with I, I just go back and say this too. It sounds like you know, hey, I'm all like you know, fanboy of the Sony. I've still kept the FSI around, you know, those FSI monitors around because at the end of the day, different monitors show you the image in different ways. Um, and I, I, you guys will find this hard to believe, but I actually have a, uh, uh, I think it cost me, I think it cost $95. I bought a 19-inch, um, I think it's some like weird name like Fujitsu or it's not Samsung, but this little crappy-ass monitor from uh, Walmart, you know, big box retailer store. And I just keep it there in the suite and I turn it on every once in a while because it's like the worst case scenario. <laughs> you know, like this is like the worst case scenario. And I don't calibrate it. I don't, I've never futzed with any of the controls. It's literally in its best, it's in the best buy setting. It, exactly. Oh, yeah. And I just want every once in a while, I turn it on just to be like, if somebody's like, really, what does it really look like that, Rob? Does it really like that? I'm like, let's turn on El Crapo monitor <laughs> yeah. and, see, and see what it looks like. It's the like audio now. equivalent of the Aura Tones. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. totally. Yeah. So, so how about panels, guys? Yeah, so Dan, you're on the, uh, you're on the big uh, Black Magic panels. I am. We've got uh, two of those, and then I've got two sets in my wardrobe because I'm just a freak. <laughs> I've got old 2K panels and the first version, the beta version of the Resolve panels. So those fell off the back of the truck? How did, how did you, how did you uh, score those? I found it in the basement. Uh, so when I started at Smoke and Mirrors, I was like all super curious about all our setups. So I went exploring and they were just lying there. You know, I was like, what are they? And they're like, oh, they're going in the bin soon. Like they're going to throw in the trash. It's like, can I have them? So yeah, take it away. So first I got the panels and the power supply was nowhere to be found. I went on eBay. It was like $800. So I thought, okay, I'm going to look harder. And eventually <laughs> I found all the bits. So it was an adventure, but um, yeah. Do, I, they, I, do they work? Yeah, they work. I pretend I'm Dave <laughs> Fussy when I'm using them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny. I'll, I'll post uh, a little later this week. I'll post on uh, the blog. I'm sure you guys have seen it. The um, uh, the Da Vinci video circa 1987. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where there wasn't even trackballs and contrast rings. It was just all knobs. Yeah. 
you know, and it's funny. It's funny how many knobs and how many bells and whistles we've gotten on these panels over the years. Oh yeah. yeah. And then Robbie, you're using the uh, black magic panels as well. I am using the black magic panels at the office, but I will say, you know, uh, you guys know that I have uh, for several months of now have been building slowly, but surely the home suite. Um, and I'm running a set of tangent elements at home. Oh yeah. Um, and I got to tell you guys, uh, you know, the tangent elements are just a killer set of panels. Yep. Um, you know, I wish some of the mappings were a little bit better um, in Resolve specifically with the tangents. Um, I love the map, love, love, love the mappings of the element in SpeedGrade CC, which is a, the, the panels now supported in that ap application. The thing I like about the tangents at home, too, is that um, they work in a lot of different applications, you know, so Red Cine X, SpeedGrade, Resolve, you know, I think they work in Scratch and Smoke, maybe. Yeah, they do. Um, that kind of, that, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're really cool. But yeah, at, home, at the office, Running the resolve panels, and you know, there's something to be said for the big, the big heavy iron still like a panel set like that. Um, you know, I hardly ever touch the mouse. Uh, every control is right there. Um, and then there's the soft factor. When a client comes in, they go, "Oh, so you're kind of running the Starship Enterprise?" Yeah. Like, yep. That, that's what I'm doing, man. That's what I'm doing. And I'm and not saying that you know it's a exponential improvement over a set of panels like a Wave or an Element or uh, JL Cooper, um, but it is. Um, I think it does have some benefits. Yeah. Oh, it has tons of benefits. I mean, I'm running here. <laughs> I run just about all of them except the Black Magic one. I think in the house right now, I have all of them except for the Wave, and uh, and the Black Magic one. I, I occasionally get the big big panel in here. If I have a really big job, I've I've got a connection that that will lend me their their panels. So you you know a guy. I know a guy, and but I don't use <laughs> that. Uh, you know, once a year on the right job, I'll I'll, I'll pull that connection. Sure. Um, otherwise, I've been running the Eclipse CX uh, for, I don't know, four years now. And then over time, I added the, the Avid Artist color, originally the Euphonics color, and then just recently picked up the, uh, the Tangent Elements. Yep. And I've been running those now for the past month or so. Uh, I dig them. You know, if there's a problem with the panels, I have to say it has more to do with the mapping. Yeah. Then it has to do with any of the panels. Oh yeah, I mean the feel, the feel, and that's why I was, I, I would echo that. I mean the feel of the panels, the knobs, the rings. I mean the 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 balls themselves and the contrast rings are as close to uber high end as I think you can get. Yep, you know, definitely. at this price point. I mean they feel fantastic, but yeah, I mean. I understand the mapping issue, and hopefully that will get better over time too. Yeah, we'll so. see. But um, but yeah, I, I dig the and I especially like uh, on Speedgrade CC now the element mapping. I think they actually they mapped that pretty smartly, and I was pretty impressed with how much functionality I got out of that. Yeah, especially with the uh, the three uh, joy balls and the contrast rings for adjusting mask and stuff. That's that's a that's a great feature. Yeah, the mask adjustment, and I love how you know on Speedgrade you've got the the mids, highs, and uh, and lows, and you've got three-way controls within each of those. And yep. to move between those, uh, there's some constant button mappings that just sit there. They ma it maps differently than I've seen on other pieces of software. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that they they nailed it. I, I was like, oh, wow, this is great. It's Those buttons are always there because I never know when I need to jump into them. So, guys, we got to wrap this up, but I have uh, two more questions for you. Let's make it quick. How about scopes? What kind of scopes are you running in your suite? I'll start. I'm running. <laughs> I've got two two sets of scopes in my suite right now. I only run one at a time. So on the Mac, on an older Mac Pro, I'm running a set of Divergent Media Scope Box, mm -hmm. and I've been running that for about two months now. And I love these scopes uh, for 99 bucks with uh, a four year old Mac Pro. It's freaking brilliant. And uh, 
and I'm running about, I'm looking at them right now, five or six, seven panels, seven different types of scopes are active right now, real time, uh, running off this thing. And then I also have uh, the VidScope, uh, the Hamlet VidScopes. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, on a PC that I bought at the same time I got the Eclipse. And uh, that one has been dormant now for the past two months, but it has some really advanced features I really like, including a lot of kind of engineering type of features. So if, I'm, if I have to deliver letterbox content and I need to be sure that the first line of active picture is on line 141 or whatever is specced out by the network, yeah. on those scopes, again, they're software scopes, I can, I can dial that in. Cool. Yeah. yeah, so I'm also running the on my uh, the box at work. Uh, I actually have a little Mac Mini setup um, that I've installed Scopebox on as my main scope situation. Um, so what I have there is an Ultra Studio 3D, the little Thunderbolt uh, I/O device, uh, feeding from my Resolve system into that into a little Mac Mini. Uh, and just like you, Pat, I'm able to get. I think I have nine, ten, eleven panels up at the same time on Scopebox. Um, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Actually, this week, um, this uh, Scopebox guys did an update, and so now, actually, if you're running Premiere Pro or After Effects. You don't actually even need a second computer. Yeah, that's you so can, cool. You, you, the scope link technology that they developed, you can actually have pro level scopes inside of those apps without having, you know, to have another box, which is great. You just run it on your second set of monitors there. Set, exactly, yeah. which is it's fantastic. And I, I've been testing it and it's 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 phenomenal. That's brilliant. Um and then, you know, because I do some 3D stuff every once in a while, and Scopebox at the moment doesn't have any 3D capabilities. Uh, so when necessary, I switch over to a PC that I have at the office as well. And I've been running a um uh a set of 3D scopes from a uh, company called CellSoft. I really like those uh, scopes. Yeah, the, the CellScope 3D. I'm not quite sure why I don't use them for 2D stuff because they'll obviously work <laughs> in 2D. Um, but they're great for things like depth measurement and you know uh, measuring different types of disparity between uh, different eyes. Um, PC only, you need a pretty beefy card. I have a Quadro 5000 in, in that PC. Um, so it does need a little bit of work. And then at home, I actually repurposed an old PC and I'm running... Um, Ultrascopes at home. What do you think of the ultrascopes? I got those. I forgot to mention. I do have them here, but they're not hooked up. What do you think of them? Uh, my opinion about them is that they're good scopes. Uh, I, you know, they they look really pretty. You yeah. know, on like a 20, on a twenty four inch monitor, man, they yeah. look they look gorgeous. My problem with them is the inflexibility of like the palette. Yeah, you know, the palettes. Like you know, hey, I want to have the vector scope over here, or I want to have the waveform over here. The other thing I will t I'll tell you that's been funny about them is that uh, the ultrascopes versus my transition over to the scope box is that because the palettes, when you display, all, I think it's a six-up display, right? When you display all of them at the same time, um, because they're relatively small, even on a 24-inch monitor, I found myself actually missing stuff. Yeah. In other, in other words, like, you know, looking at like an RGB parade, I'll have like undershoots that look totally cool on the ultrascopes. But when I run a bigger palette, say on scope box, I'm like, oh yeah, there are some undershoots there. Yeah. Um, I think they're technically great uh, and they look great. I think for editors and stuff, I've just shied away from them, especially value of the product of scope box. I've just really bought into. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Uh, we're running Tektronics, uh, mainly because our, all our suites are identical. So if you go to New York or London, you know it all has to be the same. Uh, and I actually quite like them. I really like the double diamonds. Um, oh yeah, yeah. you grading off the double diamond. Uh, I didn't know how to use it when I started, and right. now I'm just kind of noticing. You know, I can line up the blacks really quick because you can just see everything. Yeah, um, I could probably do it learning it a little bit better. But between the huge kind of um, parade as well, 
Well, what's funny about that too, Dan, is that you know, unfortunately, when it comes to scopes, I, I've had I've had Tektronix. We actually have some Tektronix scopes in our machine room that we use. They're their five thousand series, which is just like a little like rack mount box. Um, you know, the, the the double diamond, the lightning display. Those are unfortunately the thing that sucks about scopes is that people have patents on some of these things. Oh, exactly. I've, I've um the double diamond is great for RGB gamma errors, especially if you're in a broadcast workflow. Um, scope box guys though have this channel plot stuff. Yeah, I've been using now that. that yeah, that you can sort of emulate the same kind of thing. And, you know, when it comes to scopes, I think we're seeing in a slower fashion, obviously, than um, than grading applications. But we're actually seeing some democratization of that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I owned uh, a set of Omnitech scopes. It's a UK yeah. company, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, Omnitech, I mean, they were like, I don't know, I think I spent like 15 grand or something like that on them. And I was using like 3% of their capabilities. Like now, $99 application, uh, $500 piece of hardware from Blackmagic or AJA or whatever, and you got a scope, you know, mm. a setable, set of scopes. That's awesome. And they seem to be the most updated scopes. Well, they do. In fact, I'm looking at them right now. The, uh, you know, Alexis Van Herkman kind of designed his kind of fantasy set of graticules or graticules um, for the vector scope. And Scopebox, you know, they adopted it. They're like, yeah, this is really cool. Allows you, in fact, Rob, you said you've used it where, you can adjust um, the 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 exact color. You can put yeah, a little yeah. indicator on your vector scope, the color of, the, let's say, the product, and then you just park it there, and you make sure that on every shot where that color for that product is, it's always lined up right on that point. Well, I mean, as you... I- I mean, as you guys know, I mean, Alexis, when he thinks about this, and for those who don't know Alexis Van Herkman, please check out, uh, I think his blog is just vanherkman.com. Yeah, we'll link to it. Great, great, great stuff on his blog. He's written a lot of books, all that kind of stuff. And when he came out with this, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's a good idea. And Mike from Scopebox picked this up and ran with it. And it's an open source um, sort of graticule for scopes that I hope a lot more people pick up. But you're right, Pat. I actually had a, it wasn't a product shot. It was actually for National Geographic. I was working on a show. And it was a lot of underwater stuff, right? And like the color of the blue underwater needed to match throughout the entire show. And so what you're able to do on his uh, updated uh, graticule in the vectorscope is you're able to sort of uh, adjust the angle with this little uh, indicator line to actually choose a, uh, a hue value that you want and then just drag out from center to choose a saturation. And so when I was doing this underwater stuff, I could be like, yep, everything's right on that line cool. at that saturation. Uh, and it was really, really useful. That might help me with my uh, purple shadows. <laughs> there, you, there you go. There you go. Well, guys, we have gone way really long over. In this, way over on this one, but I think it's been full of a lot of very useful information. Um, just so everybody knows, uh, this week we're actually going to do a couple more mailbag segments. And, and also, guys, don't forget that the blog has plenty of information, sort of musings from the Mixing Light team, links to, out, uh, to other articles and things that we find interesting. And once again, I think I speak for everybody. Thanks for being a Mixing Light member. <laughs>